welcome to the Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we will listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shoutouts, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Well, welcome back to Fracture Line, everybody. We're very excited to have Dr. Coco. Good to have you on. This is your first time on Fracture Line. We're very excited. Uh, we always start by just having the guest hosts say a little bit about themselves, particularly their practice, where they are, what they're doing in their practice, and what they're passionate about. Okay. Hello, everybody. Hi. Thank you for having me. So I'm currently working at the Gold Coast University Hospital. I just started there a few weeks ago as a, an attending trauma surgeon after a few years of post-fellowship training in trauma and acute care surgery. And actually what I'm passionate about is to make sure that people have fulfilling lives outside of their careers because I have never met a surgeon, even a trauma surgeon, who is a well-rounded, emotionally whole human who doesn't have interest outside of their work. Oscar Wilde actually had a lot to say about not describing yourself as your profession because then you can only say you're one thing. You can only say you're an actor or a musician. You know, you're only an actor, you're only a musician, you're only a surgeon. Then you're really limiting what you can do and what you can be. Uh, you're passionate about this, Dr. Coco. So what, what, are you do, like, what are you doing about this? How are you addressing this in your practice? Or? So I guess it's two-pronged. So I try to, religious analogy, practice what I preach. Um, but also I, I do really dorky things that like I actually go up to my interns, well I did when I was a fellow, I'm now softening it a little so it's less scary, and just be like, how are you? What are you doing? I see you're still here. How can we get you out of work? What are your plans? So it sounds dorky and I also encourage people to do stuff like claim their overtime because their time is worth money and it needs to be reflected. And yeah, just try to be a person. I can attest she regularly reaches out to me to make sure that I'm having balance in my life so. So how's the new gig? Tell us what's going on. You know you were a fellow just a couple of months ago and now you're you're a big shot attending. Tell us about it. Uh, it's both exciting with the layer of terrifying. Um, <laughs> so where I've started working is a place called the Gold Coast University Hospital. So for those who aren't familiar with Australian geography, the Gold Coast is at the very bottom right corner of Queensland which is our most northern and eastern state. And the Gold Coast University Hospital is one of five, what we call in Queensland, major trauma centres, but it's the only adult trauma centre in the state that currently has level one accreditation with our college. So it's very exciting. The trauma team is really well established and has some totally excellent people, which is awesome and very supported. Um, but yeah, it's it's different. Well, how many colleagues do you have? How many other trauma surgeons are there in your group? So there is one other trauma surgeon, so Dr. Bhavik Patel, who is a long-time CWIS stalwart and all-round um, awesome human being, uh, and that's Easy. it. And so, uh, yeah. and so you're, you're, you've joined this group, which um, and, and Dr. Patel has made an amazing um, move. He's already a, a CWIS collaborative center, even just with one surgeon, which mm -hmm. has really proves that he is. As, as you say, such an amazing, uh, amazing surgeon and a, and a good leader. What do you plan on adding to your, your service to make it even better? So I think that um, I have a bit of a strange background in that I did arts as an undergrad and then I've done public health and I'm currently doing a grad dip in bioethics. So I provide a different slant in terms of, I guess, the approach to patient journeys in some way and also actually thinking more about what we do, why we do and how we do it. And so, for example, something that's come up in CWIS in the last like, six months or so is issues around the idea of consent and informed consent. And a lot of what we focus on is patient autonomy. 
that's actually a very narrow view of autonomy to say it's just about decision making and not actually consider what that person considers as their priorities in terms of their community or their family or in terms of the First Nations people here in Australia, the Aboriginal definition of health actually includes their land, country, community, family. Um, so I think, to answer your question, I provide a, a different insight into what we do and why and how, and hopefully that will be a benefit. That's great. Very, very true. So I learned last week, and I need to share this because I was really disturbed, and there was this case in the UK and they were reflecting on the fact, and this is only like a few decades ago, that it was not expected as a standard for the profession, that if you were doing um, rectal prolapse surgery on a male, you would counsel or in any way mention the risks of impotence or bladder dysfunction. That was normal. And I wow. went, you've got to be expletive kidding me, like you're doing a, a procedure for a benign reason, which you know, I would counsel people on even if it was malignant, right? But this benign procedure was being done and it was fine and accepted to not tell the person having the operation about these risks. In fact, it was frowned upon to tell them. So I think that's the other thing that people, we like to be self-regulating as a profession and I think that has a lot of upsides, but we're still operating within a community. Well, and I think the advent of the internet and you know people wanting to be more informed in their care just has changed the, the function you know, I know there are still patients who, you know, fall back on the, you know, well, doctor, what would you do? You know, kind of questions. But I think, you know, there, there is a whole different, um, mindset. I think that at least here, and I suspect it's around the world of people who go out and do seek information and try to, for lack of a better phrase, do their research, you know, about what they can find online and, and not all of it's good information, of course. So then trying to help counsel patients, I think is very different now than it would have been in previous, you know, cohorts. And I think having those those discussions is important. I, I do get, you know, of course, patients that reach out to us and trying to help them recognize that the information they get from our website, it can be trusted, whereas information that they may find on other websites about, you know, surgical stabilization of rib fractures or other chest wall care management may or may not be accurate. You know, that's an interesting conversation because I don't want to down whatever else they've found. I don't know if it's true or not. I don't know what they're looking at, but I do know what's on our website is accurate. And so I feel like trying to have that conversation of like kind of threading that needle um, can be difficult. And and that's just in my very narrow perspective. I'm sure you guys have countless experiences of kind of trying to find that sweet spot as well when you're having those conversations. And I agree. And I think that's why um, informing people isn't just about giving information if you're their healthcare provider. It's actually about advice. Because if it was just about information, you could just give them a list of websites, right? So I wouldn't go to a lawyer and say, look, this is my case. And the lawyer go, okay, well, this is a legislation you should read and you should read these previous judgments because in Australia, our law is based on both legislation and, and precedent, basically. You go away and make a decision. You're like, no, 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 I went to you for advice to say what's the best path to follow. And yeah, I want you to tell me what that's based on, but I'm still asking you for your advice because you're in a position as an expert by virtue partially of what your community has provided for you. So that means give me some advice. A patient just came to see me this past week who actually saw a different CWIS member 
um, was told how he would treat his uh, malunion, and he came to see me as a second opinion. And um, I spoke very highly of the other CBIS member. Um, I told him that um, I might do it a little bit differently, but he really came to me because he wanted to know all the other options. He, he had a single rib, and he wasn't sure whether he needed it or not. Um, he, was been, he was given more or less just, this is how I'd fix it, as opposed to really all the options out there for himself. And, he, and I sat there for probably a good 20 minutes discussing all the different possibilities that can happen and pros and cons. He left saying, I still don't know the answer. I said, I don't know the answer either, but you have to look at what you consider your quality of life and what you feel is the most important thing for you. And so he's going back to the other Steelers number. I, don't, I didn't want to steal him, so I, I kept it in, 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 in that guy's hands. Um, but it's it just it's I think it's a very important part of our job is to is take into account the the bigger picture and not just how to do an operation and what the indications are for the operation. I'm going to pose an alternative view, not an alternative view, but a, a, a little bit of a alter, a different perspective on the anti-paternalism uh, movement. I, I it's clear that we have moved a long ways away from that example you set, talked about in the UK, and patients really deserve to have all the, the good information available so they can make decisions for themselves. But there are people and clinical situations where paternalism from a, from a physician they respect, who's highly knowledgeable and they trust, where a little bit of paternalism still might have an appropriate role. And I would suggest that there are times when it's unfair to tell a patient, well, here's all the information. I'm not gonna tell you what to do. You decide, you'll make a great decision, good luck. I'm not saying that's what you're telling people to do, but there are situations where people just simply need to know what you, Dr. Coco, or you, Dr. Crisco, would do if this were your family member. And, and if, it's, if that strikes of paternalism, I, I get it, and it should be explained and acknowledged that that's what it is, but, but um, we've we, we got to be careful that the pendulum doesn't swing so far over that patients are cast adrift or they feel like they're, they're out there making decisions without, without the physician really helping them. So I'm, I'm not saying that's what you're doing. I'm just saying there's, there's, there's got to be a balance and, and scenarios are different. And the, the good physician reads those scenarios and reads those people and behaves accordingly, not the same way every time. So I actually completely agree. Um, I'm incredibly anti-paternalism, but I don't think it's helpful when as soon as someone tries to offer a different slant on this process, they get labeled as paternalistic because it shuts down discussion and it's actually very lazy to use a buzzword like that without actually knowing what it means. Autonomy, um, which in a very simplistic model is your, your you know, right to self-determination, but that is extremely, extremely simplistic, only one view of autonomy, comes into potential conflict with beneficence right, with trying to do the, what we would think is the right thing. And I don't think that paternalism and beneficence are the same at all. I would probably argue, and this is totally off the top of my head, I would probably argue that paternalism is arrogance mixed with beneficence. Whereas if you're actually, which I think you should, making a stand as to what you think is the best thing for the patient, that's not being paternalistic. That's you have expert knowledge, which you should be applying to this particular patient in this particular scenario with their particular needs. So the word consent from Latin actually means feel together. You are feeling your way together, right? Paternalism is just invoking your view on someone else without any regard for them, I would say. So I don't, I don't think that that is ever right because there's no regard for the other person. That's paternalism to me. Whereas actually having 
an opinion that you should have, or else why are you an expert? Um, that's not that's doing a job properly. I distinctly remember a conversation I had with a patient a few years ago, and I was it was clear they wanted to talk about airway contingency and all this stuff. When I came to the end of it, she says, "Well, I want to do what you want me to do." <laughs> and I said, "Well, that's not autonomy." And she goes, "The hell it's not. I'm deciding for myself that I want you to decide for me." And I thought that's. Kind of meta, but I, I I hear what you're saying. But it's a stick. It's a it's a sticky situation, and I think we all have our different styles and our. I think it's a fascinating area of endeavor, and it's very practical because we deal with it every single day. Many many of my colleagues just choose not to really deal with it. They just have one approach. It works for them most of the time, but it's it's not. We need to be more nuanced. But that's not that's no good for surgery, right? If you only had one way, you ever fix rib fractures. And then there's one out of 100 patients that doesn't work. What are you going to do? Stand there and go, oh, yeah. my only way of doing things that don't work. Yeah. I don't know about you guys. I think it's especially important in rib repair. You know, and, her and this applies to a lot of herniography too. I think hernia repair and rib, rib repair are quite similar uh, in this process because how many times do I hear what you just said, Dr. White? You know what? I want you to do what you think you should do. I, I, I want to remove myself from from making this decision. What should I do? Our practice right now is not a sound science. We're exploring the science just like we are in hernia repair. Um, we're doing what we think is best. That's why it's hard for me because I think it's best, but I also have reservations about whether or not this guy should get fixed right now. Could I be doing more harm than good? I mean, we I know we all have those questions and I think it's especially hard for me as a young chest wall surgeon, because we still are exploring a lot of options. Well, I, my question is, is, you know, if we want to really make sure that everyone gets as a good consent process as possible, is it worthwhile for our society to make informed consent videos? I think the problem, there are two problems with that, although I applaud it as an idea. The first is that the can I say the doctrine of informed consent is quite um, United States specific. There is a bit of it coming through to other jurisdictions, but it often isn't touted as informed consent. And the bigger problem I would say is what I was saying before, that it needs to be tailored to the person who is consenting. So I don't think it's actually possible to do. I mean, as in like a, to a framework, so like an exemplar of what to cover maybe, but it's gonna be that problem again of, is there a consideration that's specific to this one person, then that really needs to be covered as part of the informed consent process. Right, but I'm sorry, I feel like the non flail study, you know, Dr. Parachi made a video so that everyone would be exactly, mm. get exactly the same consent for the procedure and for the, for the study. Mm. So it would be worthwhile to have something similar to that, probably not Parachi, maybe more like Sarani or something, um, and uh, have someone give a talk and then you're there to respond to it and you know just to say you know okay so you've seen this do you have any other questions that i can answer specifically for your situation that way at least you don't because a lot of times you're, you're rushing you're doing other things you might miss on certain topics like i don't discuss heterotopic ossification every single time i discuss root fracture repair i'm not sure if you guys do but you know it's one of the you don't? well you know it's just it's just, it's one of those types of things, but it's something that just needs to be at least addressed or at least brought out. Or is it maybe not, not that, but maybe just, and at least in America, again, we have these forms and a lot of times it's just a, it's a boilerplate form where you just fill out, you know, Lapcoli or SSRF. Should there be a rib fracture consent form so that at least all those topics are, at least for legalese, 
written in that in, in that thing. If the patient wants to read it, great. They know that these are the things that can happen, but you know, at least you're helping try to get as much consent as possible for the patient. I don't know, just something else we can offer our, our society and members that we can say we have this as something that you can, we can use for you. It would be an interesting um, area of inquiry. We could develop a, an inf informed consent yeah. and then we could study it. Uh, do, do, do patients who receive that consent form respond favorably after surgery? Did they, was the experience better for them to help with their decision-making or not? And we could, we could look at it. I don't know if anybody has, but it, the, I would probably couch it more as an information piece rather than as informed consent. Yeah, I think that's because yes. it doesn't fulfill requirements for informed yeah, I think consent. That's right. Right. So I was um, going to say, yeah. we've also done that with the press trial in South America. We've made those videos, uh, or we've made that, similar to how we did with non-flail, that research process has informational videos. And part of why we did that was because we recognized that um, they regularly didn't necessarily have their family members with them. They wanted to make the decision as, as a family, but they didn't necessarily have the family member you know, at the bedside um, because we were trying to launch during the COVID timeframe. And so we wanted them to have it available on the website and so that they could watch it again or send them the link. And I think that's the other you know, really beneficial part of having a video is that they, patients often, you know, you hear it once, like anything, you hear it once and you can't necessarily recreate the moving parts if you're a lay person and say, well, this is what they're gonna do, you know? And I'm sure if we were to ask patients to repeat back what they just heard, probably it would be different than what was explained to them. I mean, maybe some of them would be able to get it pretty clearly, but, but more than likely, you know, having that ability to watch it again and again, I think would be super beneficial. So I could see, you know, I could see some real value in that. Um, I think that's, you know, partly where the patient education videos come in on our website, but it could go, you know, kind of a step further to being really just, you know, not just the patient stories or the FAQ videos, but really more, you know, just straight education. Interesting. Let me give just one quick announcement. Um, the hotel is having a little bit of trouble with our direct booking link. I posted this on Slack and an email will be going out about it today, which is generation of the problem is predicated on a couple different things. They're working on fixing it right now, but if for some reason you click on the link and it doesn't work, um, don't fret. You can still call the room book is the room block is not booked um, fully. It is getting booked. Um, so, the reason we're having the issue is because one night is totally booked and so they're adding some more rooms to that night in particular and so it's making the room block look like it's it's full. Um, but if you just call the hotel at the number listed on the website, you can still book your hotel rooms and everything is fine. They're fixing the link, no problems. Messed final stitch. <laughs> I can go first. So my final stitch, um, a person who I'm guessing is female named Rosie, who uses my cell phone number as her go-to number when she goes out. And Rosie has quite a social life. And I get very suggestive messages for Rosie. And sorry, Sarah, but is this Rosie? Like, is she really not you? Are you sure? I, you know what? I couldn't get around as much as Rosie does. I will just say that Rosie Gal. You need more work-life like, balance, man. I tip my single girl hat to you. Whoever you are, the messages I receive are very entertaining. You must have a fabulous Thank life. Thank you, Rosie. And I, I must say, Rosie, 
I am in I am in debt to you because I get a good laugh at that on a regular basis. Thank you very much. Uh, I guess I have two. One's a shout out to everyone in the eastern part of Australia right now who's been affected by the floods. Um, so there are a number of people who have lost their lives, and there's more wild weather still coming. And on a global scale, to everyone in Eastern Europe, specifically in the Ukraine, who's in the middle of a war right now. My final stitch was going to be something about Ukraine, but I, I think everybody. Uh, it's been on everybody's mind. So I, when I was sitting here watching the screen, I saw that I recognized uh, a blood knot, a surgeon's knot, um, uh, a uni knot, um, uh, uh, an improved clinch knot, an orvis knot. All those are knots on, on, on Mark Crisco's cap. Those are all fishing knots. So um, my mind is clearly about fishing. I'm leaving for Mexico in a few hours. And uh, I'll see you guys in a week, and hopefully my head will be in a better place. So. Right, I'll, I'll, I'll do the uh, the required Tom White um, sad thing. So um, as we were talking with other guys, um, I've had uh, a bunch of patients who um, came in with um, um, self-inflicted gunshot wounds recently. Um, my hospital has been really overrun with um, we, we, we all of a sudden we're a gun and knife club. We normally have 90% blunt and 10% penetrating. This weekend was 80% penetrating and 20% blunt. Um, so I just want to, anyone out there who is having problems or are, is concerned about themselves, you know, there is a suicide hotline you should be know about. The number is 800-273-8255. If you are ever even having any thoughts about this, call someone and help yourself out. All right, my final stitch is not sad. I went cat skiing in uh, British Columbia, Whistler, this last week with my wife and my brothers, and it was awesome. We got a foot of powder. No, we had a great time. So shout out to my brothers and my wife. We, uh, I already miss it, so that was a good time. Annalise, thank you. Good. Thank you. Thanks, Annalise. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, stay safe.